Our reading today is from Jonah 4. Jonah's anger at the Lord's mercy. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back your back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread, its broad leaves over Jonah's head, standing, sorry, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning, at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to hear from you this morning. Lord, open Lou's mouth as she speaks your word for us this morning. Open our ears that we might listen and understand. Free us from any distractions and fill us all with your Holy Spirit that your word would transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning. Can you all hear me? So here we are, last chapter of Jonah. We finish our time in this little book. We've spent uh, the last three weeks following the story of, of Jonah, a very, very reluctant prophet. We've listened to him receiving a call from God to go to a very particular place and a particular people with a very specific message, and then we've watched as he'd immediately run in the opposite direction. We've watched on from the sidelines as he's tried to outrun God, as he's tried to outrun the call of God on his life by making his way to Tarshish, which was the place of his dreams rather than the place of God's calling. 
which was Nineveh. We've watched in horror as his journey has taken this spiraling downwards project, uh, trajectory. Down he goes to Joppa, down to get on a boat, down below deck, sleeping in the middle of a hellish, life-threatening storm, and then down into the depths as he's thrown overboard by pagan sailors who pray like crazy all the time. And then down into the belly of a monster fish, where he finally decides, do you know what, it might be a good time to pray. And then he gets puked up on a beach. I love that bit of the story, don't you? And then he gets puked up on a beach. And God's word comes to him a second time and asks him to go to Nineveh to give the people there the message from God for them. You see, despite running from God, God has pursued Jonah with love. He has rescued him, and then he's given him a second chance and an opportunity to go and be all that he's called to be. And reluctantly, he goes, and the result is that a whole massive ungodly, evil nation turn to God, turn from their evil ways, acknowledging who God is, and they are saved. How amazing is that? It is truly amazing. In quite a lot of the other, other books of the prophets in our Old Testament, the prophets are usually killed or maimed or dropped down wells or ignored or they're just not liked. And they don't live to see any of the fruit of what they have spoken to people. Jonah gets to see almost immediately something brilliant happen as he does what God calls him to do. And yet it's really clear, isn't it, that Jonah's not really all that enamored with how things have turned out. My guess is that this last chapter is the least known bit of the Jonah story, because it's not got sick in it, probably. We haven't done it at Sunday school, this bit, have we? And probably also because I think it could be seen to be maybe the most challenging. So why really focus on it? Because it will probably just make us all feel uncomfortable. Welcome to this morning. <laughs> the lessons that Jonah learns here are really hard, and I think they speak clearly to us as well. I think they speak incredibly clearly into church settings and situations. So what is it that we can learn from this last bit of Jonah's story? What is it that we can learn? I wonder this morning where the lines will be drawn. Have you got your little bits of paper that you were given? Have you? Thank you for not making um, paper aeroplanes out of them and throwing them and all that kind of stuff, which sometimes happens. There's still time, yeah. If anybody wants a little bit of paper, have you got a little Anybody hasn't got one of these little bits of paper that look a little bit like that? You got a little bit of paper that looks a bit like that? Oh, there's a stand there. Anybody hasn't got one? Put your hands in the air. Fox will come around and give, it to you, give you a piece of paper. And, and maybe if you've not got a pen, stick your hand in the air or a pencil. He's run out of pencils. Tough, you'll just have to share with people around you. This is just a little bit here. Don't panic about this, all right? I'm not going to be taking these in. It's not an exam. It's not a test. There's nothing like that horrible going to go on. Nobody else needs to see whatever happens on that piece of paper but you. So let's not get panicky about it, all right? Just because it's a bit different. I'm not marking them, no. 
I've got much better things to be doing. Football's on, isn't it, this afternoon? Right. So look on these pieces of paper, all right? Lots of different shapes. See? It's not rocket science. I, I, they'll come round to you. If you keep your hands in the air, I'm just going to carry on just talking for a bit. Because Mel asked that the Lord would open my mouth, which actually I heard Ian laugh when she said that. <laughs> Already feeling blessed by the thought. Um, I'd like you to draw some lines around the things on that paper so that they're grouped together as you think they should be. How might you group those shapes? How might you group those shapes on that bit of paper? Just draw a few lines. Really, honestly, don't think about it too much. I can see some of you going, oh, no. Don't think about it too much. It won't take long. Just put them in some groups. If you haven't got a piece of paper and you're not sure, you can see up there, you can think about what groups you'd put them in. Don't think too long about it. Really. It should take seconds. Don't overthink it. Or the smell of burning from your minds will overwhelm me at the front. Are you done? You done? Yeah? No, obviously not. If the service goes over today, it will be your fault because you took too long doing the bit that I said was only going to take seconds. Have you done? You got the idea? Yeah? What's the answer? There is no real answer, I suppose, really. Right. You've all done a little bit on that now, yes? Well, while you're still thinking about it, I'm talking now, all right? My guess is that many of you might have drawn lines in different places. Some of you might have just got two groups, white shapes, black shapes. Some of you might have more than two groups. Uh, some of you might have put all the triangles in a group or all the hearts in a group all the stars in the group. Some of you might have done it like that. Some of you might have put all the shapes with curvy lines in one group and all the shapes that have got like pointy bits in another group. Yeah? Who knows what you've done? The chances are you probably haven't done exactly the same on that piece of paper as the person next to you. That's okay. There are no right answers necessarily in this little bit. Why am I asking you to do this, you might be thinking. She has completely flipped out. She's been here six months, and she's lost it. I lost it way before I got here, I'll tell you that. <laughs> what relevance has drawing lines on a piece of paper got to do with the story of Jonah chapter 4? Well, it seems obvious to me that Jonah is very angry here in this chapter. And I think anger can often be about where lines are drawn. Anger is like an alarm that tells you something's wrong, only it doesn't always tell you where the wrong is. Don't let anybody tell you that anger is awful, you, it's wrong, anger is wrong. Anger's not wrong, it's what you do with it that might make it wrong. <laughs> if it's left unchecked. As comical as this picture of Jonah is, basically going, I knew you were so faithful, that's why I'm angry, which is quite funny. Let's also not sweep under the carpet the fact that he is so angry he wants to die because that anger is left unchecked. And that's when it damages, that's when it hurts. That's when it can cause the biggest damage because it's left unchecked. Anger is like an alarm that tells you something is wrong, but it doesn't always tell you where the wrong is. But I think having a look at where the line is drawn can sometimes help. Jonah is very angry here. 
Something is wrong. He is sulking. He is kicking off about it big time. Something has happened that hasn't kept things within the lines that he has drawn. And let's be honest, that's usually what makes us angry, isn't it? When things happen that we don't expect. Things happen that we don't, that, 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 that aren't part of our plans. Things happen in unfamiliar ways. Maybe they happen in different ways. Things don't fit into the lines that we have drawn. I mean, I've heard people say as they tell me how angry they are, maybe you've heard people say this, I'm so angry I just draw the line at that. Have you ever heard people say that? I draw the line at it, which always makes me smile because I think, yeah, I'd really like to as well. But you see, when you do that, it makes everybody else's responsibility for stepping over a line you've drawn that they might not have even known was there. You see? Not my problem because I've drawn a line about it. (laughs) But if no one else knows where that line is, how can you be angry? Jonah's drawn his lines, and on one side there are those who are very worthy of God's forgiveness and love and grace, and on the other are those who, in his thinking, could never be good enough. They're beyond saving, they are evil to the core, they're corrupt, they're perpetrators of injustice, they're murderers and abusers of power, they are the Ninevites. Do you know, we all draw lines every day. We draw lines of expectation, of tradition, of behaviour, of need, of time. We draw them in the church too. We're very good at drawing lines in the church. If there was a gold medal for it, my goodness, we'd all have one. We draw lines marking who's in and who's out. Who's acceptable, who's not. Dress code, not dress code. Who's welcome and who, although we're a welcoming community, we know we'd rather not have that sort of people to welcome if we had to. We draw lines all the time. Now, don't get me wrong, these lines can be beneficial because they do keep us comfortable, they help us to know where we are and what's going on, but when the lines are crossed, that's when we can get angry and something is wrong. Let's be honest, we can be angry not only with others, but we can also be angry with ourselves, and we can also, just like Jonah here, be very angry with God. Ever been angry with God? Sometimes people say, oh, no, you can't be angry with God. I think God Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth, can deal with your anger. I don't think your anger is going to make him go, oh, my goodness, I didn't see that coming. I can't cope with it. I don't think he can not cope with your anger. I think at times being really honest, if you're angry with God and telling him, is an all right thing to do. It's better than lying about it. Maybe some of us are angry with God. Whenever you see we think we deserve something from God and we find him guilty for not giving it to us, we get angry. Whenever we think someone else is probably not really worthy of the blessings that God seems to be giving them and not us, we get angry. Whenever God takes something away from us which we think he has absolutely no right to move and remove, we get angry. And whenever we start getting a bit self-righteous and start seeing ourselves and the ways in which we operate and do things as being the right way, the better way, and quite frankly, the only way, we get angry. I wonder what's made you angry this week, even this week. And I wonder when you've maybe sensed that anger or irritation rising that you have ever thought that you might allow yourself to hear the question that God asks Jonah in verse 4. Oh, where are your lines drawn? Yeah. Um, have you got any right to be angry about that? 
Are you right to be angry about this? Or in other words, have you ever asked yourself whether the line was in the right place to start with? Jonah has drawn his lines, but he has failed completely to see if they match those that are drawn by God. Jonah has drawn his lines, and he's starting to believe that they were better placed than the lines it appears God was working with. And he is angry with God, because God is not playing and not operating within his lines and his ways and to his preferences. I will, now, take a, take a little look at this. There you go. What a lovely little picture that is. It's a little bit of a bigger picture, that. Turn your pieces of paper over. Draw me what you think it is. Again, don't take ages over it. You don't have to have a degree in art or anything. Just draw me what you think that is. I mean, it's not rocket science, guys, is it? Come on. I'm from Norfolk, and even I could see what that was. You done? How many of you have drawn a tree? You're cleverer than you look, aren't you? Cleverer than you look, all of you. How many of you have drawn a tree, honestly now, because some of you may have done it, how many of you have honestly drawn a tree that looks exactly like that? <laughs> Anyone? Anyone drawn this? Haven't you? Thank God for that, because the illustration completely falls to pieces if every one of you have drawn a tree like that. <laughs> See, there is a God. This is called a baobab tree. I've never seen a baobab tree in this country. There may well be some in Kew Gardens or somewhere like that. We saw trees like this when we were in Kenya, and they're called the upside-down tree. <laughs> you can see why, can't you? Because it looks like it's upside down. Yeah. The thing is, you will have drawn some lines on your paper based on just that small section of the picture. And the rest of it is filled in using your imagination, your experience, your views, and your understanding of what a tree is. Yeah? Was it right? Right. Good. And this is what Jonah has done. He's drawn his lines, but it highlights something quite clearly for all of us to take note of. When it comes to God, our imaginations, our experience, our views, our understanding are incredibly stunted. They're far too small. They're too restrictive because they are often far too centered on us. And maybe then we can see that when we stubbornly stick with the lines that we've drawn, that the picture that we portray of who God is, the picture that we portray of who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about can in truth be quite a long way from reality. See, Jonah knows God was merciful, and he knows God was gracious, and he knows God was kind, and he knows God was forgiving, and he knows God was just, and he's just finished the picture off. But it wasn't big enough. It wasn't expansive enough. It wasn't inclusive enough. It wasn't far-reaching enough. Jonah is more upset about a plant that grows up in a day and then disappears in a night than he is about a whole massive city of people. He's drawn his lines all right. And in doing so, he has drawn God in the way he thinks God should be rather than the way God actually is. He has created a God of his own making who is too small 
and too centered on himself. And it has resulted in a warped and small and exclusive picture of God that was in no way truly representative of who God was, of who God is, and the way that God chooses to love and to welcome and to forgive and to restore. I wonder whether the lines that you have drawn and live within when it comes to your idea of who Jesus is and what Jesus is like and the way Jesus does things truly represents the truth about who Jesus is and the way Jesus does things. I wonder whether the lines that we draw as a church community truly represent the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus does and the way in which he does these things. Do we, do we really reflect the wildness, the breadth, the depth of the boundaries of the grace and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the acceptance of Jesus? Or can we be a bit like Jonah, sitting on the outskirts of a town, sulking, because our lines have been overstepped and rubbed out and done away with? My guess is, you see, it's far too easy for most of us to make our God too small. Even here in this place, where it's easy to come and sing and speak of a God who is mighty, the creator, the one who's mighty to save, the God from whom salvation comes. You see, when we start finding it easier to sing about it than live within the truth of the lines that God draws, we don't become more like Jesus, we become more like Jonah. And maybe this is exactly why we don't really pay much attention to this last chapter. Because the questions that it asks of us are uncomfortable. That along with the fact that it offers a completely rubbish ending. Because it is a rubbish ending, isn't it? I mean, if you were going to write a story and you ended with it like that and you ended it in at school, they would have sent it back and said, redo the ending, wouldn't they? Have you never thought that? It is a rubbish ending. Absolutely rubbish. Look, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, Though you did nothing, oh, it's clipped off the back of that bit. Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? The end. I mean, why do they even mention the plant there? Why does it end this way? It seems like the story should really have ended at the end of chapter 3. God has mercy on Nineveh, the end. I mean, that's much better, isn't it? You'd have got far more marks for that sort of an ending than this. Why wasn't that the end, chapter 3? Why? Because the story isn't about Nineveh. It's about God's dealings with a man whose lines are not drawn anywhere near where God's drawn his. A man whose heart is not moved with love and concern for the things and the people that God's heart is full of concern and care for. He cares more for a plant that gives him what he wants than he does the city of 120,000 people, not to mention the animals who haven't got a clue. The ending is left open. We don't get to hear how Jonah responds to this. Why? Because this story isn't about Nineveh and it isn't really either about Jonah. It's about me And it's about you. It's about us working through how we'd respond 
It's about us working through how we respond when we realize that the concerns of our hearts and the lines that we've drawn don't probably reflect or mirror in any way the real concerns of God and the truth of who he is and how he does things. How we respond when we realize we've been acting and serving and doing all within the lines we've drawn that mirror more closely our concerns, our ways, our position, our experience and our history, good as these things might be, are they really all in line with the concerns of God's heart for our neighbors and for our community and for our world right now? You see, this is a story about a loving God's mission to a human heart, and that is probably the most difficult mission ever. And it leaves us asking, what am I really concerned about? What am I really concerned about? And it's an important question because our heart's concerns are often the motivation behind what we do and how we do things. What am I really concerned about? What are we, as London Road Baptist Church, really concerned about? My security, my comfort, my future, my plans, my money, my way of doing things, our security, comfort, future, plans, money, way of doing things. These were the real desires of Jonah's heart, and I think that's why it's so hard for him to follow God's call to go to Nineveh with any integrity and joy. You see, sometimes God asks us to do things, not necessarily because he just wants them done, but because he longs to be able to do a transforming work within our hearts and teach us something about who he really is about his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his acceptance. You know, maybe we, may we be ready this morning to look into our own hearts and ask that we might be made aware of where we can see symptoms of the Jonah syndrome. Places, moments, situations where we've drawn lines and they don't match God's. They don't truly reflect the truth of it, who he is at all. They just keep us really comfortable. Where can God by the Holy Spirit, make a change in me and, you and me and you today. And if you think that all sounds a little bit too spiritual and holy and I don't like it when I get asked to sort of search within my heart, I'll, I'll make it simple. Who do you not like? Who can't you stand? Who, I will mention the world, although it is a strong one, who do you hate? Who do you really not care for? Who annoys the hell out of you? Pray for them. Pray blessing for them. Pray, ab pray abundant blessing for them. And keep on, keeping on in prayer that God would bless them. And you know what? You might even find it changes your mean heart. Because you might not like them. Jesus died for them. That's the truth. This little story isn't really about Jonah. This little story isn't about a whale. We always know about that, don't we? More about a gorilla than a whale. This little story is not really about Nineveh, and it's not really about Tarshish. It's about a loving God who longs to do a work of grace and love within the hearts of every human being, people just like me and just like you. A God who longs for us to truly live and be and serve and rest within the lines that he alone draws. Because when we do that, we truly represent and we truly display who he is. And we truly represent and display what he's like. And we truly become disciples of Jesus, doing the things he does in the way he does them. And when we do that, we truly become the church. Anything other than that is not discipleship and it isn't church. Where can God 
by the Holy Spirit, make a change in me and make a change in you today? Where can God, by the Holy Spirit, make a change in us as London Road Baptist Church today? Let's pray. Father God, we've thought something of your mercy about it and your compassion and your love as we've gathered in this place and we thank you for we know that as we gather here you love us, you care for us but sometimes your love and your grace is really offensive because it includes people that we don't like. It includes people that we maybe don't agree with. It includes people maybe whose lifestyles are just really different to ours. It includes people that we hate. So come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit afresh to our hearts now. And shine a light on the Jonah syndrome. Shine a light on the little pockets of that within each one of us. Shine a light on where the lines have been drawn and we feel they're really dug into concrete, but actually you're the only one who can draw lines with such permanence. Come, Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts. Break them for what breaks yours. That as we receive your love for us, we might realize there is enough to go round and that that one person that we don't like who is so loved by you doesn't mean that we're loved any less. Come do what only you can do so that we can truly reflect the real picture of who you are and what you're like and not create you in our own image just to keep things tickety-boo for us. Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do for the glory of your name. Amen.